Welcome to episode 860 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team. Welcome along to episode 860 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsman. Bevan James, how's you going, mate? Oh, pretty good, Bevan. It's a big yawn? Yep. You farted before you're yawning now. I didn't fart. I to fart. No, you did not hear a fart. Oh, I thought Newsom's really I, relaxing I'd, today. I'd own it if I did it. Yeah, well, I, I've ran with you a lot. <laughs> yeah. And when you run with Newsom, he's a ploppy farter. <laughs> yeah. Plop, 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 plop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, good way to start a show. Good yawn. <laughs> good yawn. Non fart. Yeah. It's a suspicious sound, I'll say then. <laughs> Our talk is proudly brought to you by. Our awesome patrons. We've got Sean the Big Dipper Bonsil. Melissa Bigfoot Yuri. And then we've got Alistair Speed Feet Fleet. That's a good one as well. Lots of feet happening here today. Uh, we've got some news this week's show. We've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. Age grouper of the week. We're going to look more of those cone finishes. And then we've got an interview. We're talking to the mountains now, John Hancock, who last week swam the Cook Strait Crossing, which is between the North and the South Island of New Zealand and is one of the big seven swims you can do around the world. And uh, it is a big challenge. Big challenge. Oh, now I've spread it. Yawn's yawn's spreading. I could sleep too. I've started wearing my watch to bed. Do you wear your watch to bed? The what, sorry? Like your your watch? No, I don't Do you get sleep stats? No. Oh, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. And because you wake up in the morning and you see how well you slept. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out I'm a very good sleeper. Right. Are you a good sleeper? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. My stats are always very good. I'm a good sleeper. Anyway, uh, one of the week questions and answers at the end. So, news. We had uh, Ironman 70.3 Tasmania happen over the weekend and we were talking about Jake Burke. We were still saying what's happening with his career. And it sounds like it was a pretty good race. It did. It's the first time. I mean, we often don't talk about 70.3s massively, but... Um, Quite a time of the year. There's nothing else on. So, yeah, I said Jake Burtwiss. I wasn't so sure how he'd go. Um, but he loved. He proved me wrong, and he did really well. He uh, swam exceptionally well. He came out with... Would um, that be expected? Uh, no. I mean, all world triathlon sort of short course guys are good swimmers. But, you know, he came out on the feet of Josh Amberger, who is, you know, regarded as a very strong... Um, you know, long course swimmer so that was started his day pretty well um, and he stuck with the people he kind of needed to on the bike uh, and then whipped out a 1 hour 10 18 marathon it was bloody close he only won by 15 seconds over yeah. a guy called Mitchell Kirby but, you know it's a, it's a reasonable field You've got Caleb Noble and Josh Amberger in fourth so um, yeah good Tim performance Van by him. was racing he was he DNF'd and uh, well it would have been really interesting Braden Curry was supposed to be racing Um but his son broke, broke broke both his arms in a mountain bike crash. Oh. And mount, downhill mountain biking racing is just... Stupid? Yeah, my son, my nephew had a crash the week before last as well and concussed and just completely KO'd. I remember it's years like, ago, John, not they had the, the New Zealand Championships here in Christchurch. Yeah. And they are going to Merville. Yeah. And me and my mates went and watched it. And there's one guy, like, came off his bike. I thought he was dead. Yeah. Like, it was not good. And the thing in that sport is there's no point finishing the race because you've lost... Yeah, you got up and finished the race. Yeah, it's not. It's not if it's going to happen. It's when it's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And you're just rolling the dice. Oh. Just, anyhow, um, but young and stupid. Yeah, Ali Salthurst uh, had a good win to take out the race. It was the first time they've had the race in Tasmania. Beautiful place to go if you're looking to go to Australia. Or well, I haven't been there, but my um, 
uncle and aunt have just arrived in New Zealand and they've been over there. My uncle, another uncle lives there. Uh, it's supposed to be absolutely spectacular. Ellie Salthouse beat out Grace Thick and Penny Slater. Bert Whistle? How old is he? It's not here on, it's not here on the page. Uh, I'm going to say he's probably close to getting close to 30. That's just a guess. Do you think after this Olympics we see him go long? Yeah. Yep, definitely. And how do you reckon he'll go? Um, he'll probably do well. Done this pretty well. Start. Yeah, good yeah. start. Probably fine over seventy point three. You never know when you go to to full. Um, but when you can run a one ten, you know you can be a little a little way off the back and still do pretty well. So very solid. Okay, we've also got the World Triathlon Long Course Championship organisers have announced that in twenty twenty four, the World Triathlon Multisport Championships have announced that on the August the fifteenth to twenty fifth. In Townsville, Australia, the championships are going to be taking place. It's a 12-day event. It's including 19 world championship races across five different levels of athletes, including age group, para-athletes, junior, under 23, and elites. So the, the, the dilemma some people are going to now have is we've got the world long-distance champs 15th to 25th of August. They were supposed to be, uh, this is 2024, they were supposed to be sort of COVID time, maybe 2020 I think it was, or 2021. Um, that all got cancelled. And now they're in 2024, which is the same year as the 70.3 world champs, which are in Torpal in December. So some people may double up, some people may do one or the other. Um, but Wait, yeah. so, so they don't do this annually? Yeah, they do it annually, but it got canned because of COVID. Oh, okay. So this is kind of like a okay. catch-up, which is the same for Topol because that was supposed to be 2020 as well, I think. Um, so, yeah. Is this Kiwis, a race that would Ki- interest you? Um, yeah. I mean, it's Townsville, I think, somewhere I'd kind of like to go. Yeah. Yep. Sort of. And it'll be long distance, so it'll be probably be like a 3K, 120K, 30K, I think. So I will watch this with... Uh, Anticipation, but they'll also have the duathlon and multi sport and all those sorts of things. So, so, one of the advantages when you go to this, you know, if you don't want to go Harry Hardnuts for the long course, you can actually make a, you know, do a couple of events, you know, maybe an aquathon in the, the long course or the duathlon in the long course or yeah, the cross try. So, you can, you can have a couple cool, of you know, like It'd be a cool place to be, wouldn't it? Because mm. a big, like I imagine they get a lot of people there. And it's mm. a, it'd almost have a kind of like feel to a city, wouldn't it? Mm. So, it's just. Yeah, whether you'd rather go to Australia or come to New Zealand for seventy point three worlds. No brainer. Yeah, Topol. Right. Uh, Ironman adapts uh, more world triathlon rules, so they've set up an open division. So by the looks of it, the open division is basically you're not an age group runner, you're not an age group racer. You're basically just turning up saying I'm open racer. No, oh, yeah, you've got to do your piece. Oh, I thought I did do my piece. <laughs> okay. No, so. open's basically opening up for people who don't identify with with the gender. Oh, sorry. So, so it's a, it, it's, it sounds like they're just lining up with what... Okay, so they're going to have a male's race, a female race, and open gender race. Yeah, and okay. they may all... They may, you know, these days it's just a rolling start half the time anyway. Um, but the one interesting point in there, that athletes in the open division will be bound by the competition rules and are not eligible for Ironman or Ironman 70.3 World Championship qualifying slot. So you can come along and race, but they haven't yet figured out how it's going to affect qualifying for world championships, which is which is going to be the the next uh, hurdle, and that's when it starts to become well, they have an really open, competitive. They have an open, eventually, probably have, to have an open. But then category. you've got to have all different sorts of categories, and then you've got to have age group categories as well. So you might go, you know, a male transition to female, and then you've got to have that potentially have the age group categories, or a female transition yeah. to male, and potentially the age group categories. I know that, and when well, I don't know this, I think in the physically challenged. Um, 
categories. I don't know if there's an age-related thing there. So, um, so that's that's one interesting change they've, they've made. They are also have adapted uh, their PC open slash exhibition um, category. So now you're going to have people who are physically challenged and with an intellectual disability. So oh, physical, okay. cha- physically challenged and intellectual disability. So that's another good point. And then the final one was they're going to have their shoe ruling in line with world triathlon. Which is what? Which is well, it's now in line with world athletics. And my understanding of it, and I'm happy to be pointed out if I'm wrong, basically means you, you've got you can't use de- developmental shoes, so okay. it needs to be something to that's, yeah, it needs to be something that's available to, to everybody. There will be additional rules there on on the level of um, stack you can have and so on, but um, because that happened in that documentary I was watching about that guy, you watched it as well, that Nike guy, and mm. when they had the US trials. And all these guys came along for these shoes and no, no one else could get them at that stage and mm. they all dominated the race. Mm. And someone actually missed out on the Olympics and she was like, we didn't, even, right. at that time they didn't even know because it was kind mm. of a new technology, but no one else could also buy the shoes at the time. So, yeah, so that's good. And, and there was that controversy last year when um, Gustav Eden had those on shoes that had some ginormous stack on them. So whether or not that's all going to be legal, I'm not not quite sure. But um, yeah, it's this rules business, it's just, Ginormous. You've always got to be one step ahead of the bloody athletes and the and the big business. And, and also, let's let's be honest. This open category is really changing sport, and, and mm. you know there there is obviously a need for it. I'd be interested to see what kind of numbers that open category draws. You know, like like in the sport as a percentage of participation. Oh, it's going to be minuscule, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a step in step in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I totally, and, agree. Um, totally agree. Yeah, when I was looking into this so this morning, uh, I did also notice a few other things that World Triathlon had updated their rules. Uh, and a few interesting ones there. World Triathlon uh, have now got a different maternity policy, which freezes an athlete's rankings from when their pregnancy is announced until the child is two years old. So I guess if you didn't announce your pregnancy till just before the baby's born, well, then, well, just, then it goes from two years from there. But if you announce it when you're, say, 10 weeks in or 12 weeks in... It, it, it depends on what your ranking starts. is, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, like if your ranking's really good, I'm pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't even started trying. Yeah. And then, uh, or if your ranking's really bad, you might wait longer and try to... Although, I imagine the more pregnant you get, the less you're going to race. Yeah, so that's, that's good. And uh, and it, your, your, your ranking gets frozen until your child is two years old. Um, there's also... This is an interesting one. There's also This also applies to female athletes who undergo a miscarriage um, after their 20th week of pregnancy. Um, so wait, do they still get to get two years? Yeah, by the look of this. Um, That's interesting. Mm, uh, you think two years might be a bit long? I don't know. Yeah, it's a delicate subject, I get it. Yeah. But but a miscarriage isn't it? Well, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, maybe I shouldn't talk. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I should we need to do our P's on that before commenting. Yeah. Uh, the anti, anti-doping educational courses are now mandatory for athletes. I'm assuming this is for, for, for pro athletes. And disqualification is possible for athletes who lose their timing chips. So that's an interesting one because you do notice. Does that happen often? Well, it's it, it can you could lose a timing chip in a wetsuit swim. You can sometimes accidentally maybe rip it off. But it looks to me when they do the world triathlon events these days that they actually have them on both feet, okay. uh, both ankles. So if you did lose two, that might be a little bit suspect. Um, but it could be. Mm. It's a bit of a broad statement, isn't it? Mm. You yeah. know, is it you're disqualified if you lose it? Mm. 
it's, it's a bit, bit random. And then the final one that I thought was uh, was interesting. Uh, additional tweaks have been made to transition rules with touching of the helmet locking mechanism now forbidden before the bike is racked. That and that's Hayden after Wild. Hayden Wildgate uh, <laughs> at the uh, Commonwealth Games where he got uh, infringement for touching this the, the you know the locking mechanism while he just as he was racking his bike but not undoing it allegedly so uh, now you can't even touch anything until your bike is racked Lionel Sanders is going to be racing Super League Arena Games in Montreal on the 25th of February what do you think uh he well, depends he on blitzed, the, won't he? sorry he get blitzed, won't he? he I'm picking more likely or not that he'll get blitzed. The one thing that might be in his favour is I'm pretty sure that they've turned off the drafting in the in, on the, the bike, bike leg. Okay. I know they did that for one of the races. If they do that, then he um, might might stand a chance of, of catching up. I still think if it's a strong field, he's, he's a going good to runner, but is he that fast? No, no. yeah, uh, he's Ironman fast, but he's not. Yeah, yeah, he's not sort short of short course yeah. fast. Sub three, way, way under three minute case, but they absolutely blitz those races. And even the, the the second tier guys, they're incredibly fast. So I think in all likelihood he'll get blitzed. But it's if it's, a, if it's, it's PR, a really, isn't it? It's if it's a really weak field and it's just like Canadian athletes there, um, then he might stand a chance. You know. So what's in the swim? You know, a couple hundred meters. He's probably going to lose. I don't know, 15 seconds or something like that maybe. Yep. Um, and yeah, so he might make that up on the bike potentially. He is a weapon on the bike and he does extremely well at Zwift Racing. Um, but I can't see him matching you know, the, the good good sort of short course athletes. Because he's there, will you watch it? Oh, I'll be watching it regardless. Okay. Um, depends on who's there, how intently I'll be watching it. But you know, I'll definitely, definitely give that a watch. Do you know what? I've watched a couple of them. No, it's not quite there. You no. need you, what would makes it is you need to have massive crowd, lots of noise, party atmosphere, yeah. and you know maybe have it the the whole pool area dark and just sort of spotlights on to yeah. make more of a bit more razzmatazz. Yeah, because I've watched them and when they first announced, I thought this could be really cool. Mm. And no, I think yeah. they you know, they like need to be up on a stage. You know, I know it's difficult with the swim, but it just needs to be. Presented a bit differently, but um, would it yeah. work if you had a 400 meter track? Oh, well, they've done that before. They used to, well, yeah, they used to, they're back in the French one back in the day. But mm. if you did the swim, the bike on his with and then actually not run on a treadmill but run on a track, it, that would be a lot cooler. But I think your, your number of venues that you're gonna yeah. have that can do yeah. that are, are somewhat limited. Mm. So, um, the, the series is uh, coming up pretty soon. February 25th is in Montreal, uh, Jersey in Switzerland is March the 12th, and then on to London on April the 8th. Haven't seen any announcements on athletes, so we'll uh, watch that space. Okay, so we've got the Coast to Coast coming up this weekend, and it's the big New Zealand race we always talk about. Um, the question is, John, men's favourites? I don't know anything about who's who's racing, so we'll maybe just talk about the results. Uh, well, Simone, Simone but Myers, it's, it's kind of the same thing with the females. Simone, Alina Usher, Fiona Dowling, but mm-hmm. I can't find the men's. Um, but what's interesting for our international listeners is uh, Dougal Allen, who's won the Coast to Coast before and done uh, Ironman as well. He's now actually gone off and signed up as part of Team New Zealand, which is our yachting team that compete in this regatta called the America's Cup, which is basically rich guys just throwing millions and millions of dollars at a yacht race that happens about every four or five years. And um, this time around, New Zealand are defending champions, and they they have uh, the thing called cyclores on there, and they have like 
four four cyclists the, yeah, bikes on each on the team, boat. bikes on the boat, and the, basically the the cycling um, controls the mechanics of the boat. And uh, he did a whole bunch of testing, and him and Hamish Bond, who is an Olympic cyclist and rower, not Olympic cyclist, he was an Olympic champion rower multiple times, legendary athlete. Yeah, and but he was a very very good cyclist. Also went to Commonwealth, Commonwealth Games, games yeah. uh, and went to World Champs and stuff. But they've both got onto the team. So Dougal, uh, he's a solid unit. I was fascinated by this because Dougal's a beast of a cyclist mm. but the riding they're doing is like track cycling mm. you know on, on those cyclists it's a 15 minute race mm-hmm. and you know it's it's max effort for maybe a minute at a time mm. I was fascinated now obviously he's got the power numbers obviously he yeah. can do it but you know like he's an 180 gear biker you know so I was I, you know because a lot of the guys who have been in those teams have been previous New Zealand track cyclists mm. or rowers you know mm. we seem to have had a couple of rowers do it as well mm. um, so yeah I was like awesome Hmm. Um, but yeah, I was quite fascinated because I thought he was more of an endurance cyclist than a. Yeah, a but he's a big, end. he's a big boy, and I think oh, with the right, the right sort of training. And obviously, he pulled the numbers. Obviously, he can, mm. you know. Um, so really interesting, and that prolongs his career, really, doesn't it? Because mm. they they tend to do it for quite a bit longer, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what he gets paid. Yeah, I think it'd definitely be worthwhile. Not crazy money, but you know, yeah, definitely worthwhile. Awesome life experience. Yeah, so there's Coast to Coast to Coast coming up this weekend. Okay, um, the boys, just the boys, I've got the boys here. Um, Sam Henson's number one, Alex Hunt. Right. No, and Ryan is in third. All right. John, you should be making your comeback. <laughs> comeback, I've never made it to the Coast to Coast. It is on you the You should do list. it. Oh, yeah, I've got to do it. It's a, like, be seriously, because I do the MCing, and last year was the first year, maybe the year before it was the first year, I did the whole day. Hmm. It's such a cool race. I'd be absolutely hopeless though. So the kayak uh, and the mountain run. I'd be oh, hopeless. You'd be good. Uh, I'd be hopeless. When I, did, I think I got third in the mountain. Relatively run. speaking, you know, if if I put myself up to somebody who's similar level of triathlete to me, get, but they've got more skills, I'd get absolutely annihilated. No, um, but I, I, I do want to do it. But I don't really want to spend the time of kayak. No, you're going to win it, John. You're going to win it. Back uh, yourself, mate. Back yourself. Hot topic of the week. Okay, so the best rides in the world. What is the best ride in a race or training that you've done anywhere in the world? We've got uh, quite a few comments, so we're not going to go all of the, through all of them, um, but we'll go through a good number because there's some classics on here. Uh, I'll start from the bottom, Bev, and you start from the top. Okay, you go first because I'm still um, it up. Toby Schnell says, uh, I'm in Ken's is hard to top. Huh. There you go. There you go. Given Knell. Uh, the original Marriott route, uh, Gladen, Telegraph, Gal- Galiba, whatever. Galibier. Um, Alpdoez, a loop of beauty, glory, and destiny. Lynette Ntani, um, I'm in Mallorca, coming down those switchbacks after a massive climb up. Balfour's got, uh, I think it's Jindabyne in the Snowy Mountains in New South Wales, Australia. I've done that one. Is it good? Uh I yeah. On, back, back up. yeah, no, it was. I, I'm just trying to think it. You go past Threadbow ski, fi- ski Field and stuff. All I remember about that, we did a triathlon. We swam in, in Lake Jindabyne. Uh, I think it's Lake Jindabyne. Um, and then we biked up Mount Kosciuskos and then ran to the top. I've never seen flies like it in my life. Oh, really? Unbelievable. Like you're running and they're landing on you. Everyone's uh, wearing like beekeeping gear. Uh, really? uh, beautiful, but um, yeah, a lot of... Lot of uh, of flies. Liam Sargent says a crown range from Arrowtown side to Wanaka with Andrew Abercan, Daniel McDonald, Steve Gibling and Sid Cumming uh, ripping the descent all the way down to the lake. 
That's one of my favourite rides, actually. I did that. Um, Tiao now to Mammoth Sounds through the Homer Tunnel on Epic Camp with not a pesky tourist in sight. Just spectacular. That was Ian Wood. And Mar- uh, Nadia McLaren agrees. That I was very envious of that Grant day. Grant Poy did as well. Yeah, it was an absolutely spectacular. You can you can never do it again when uh, when there's traffic. traffic oh, it's just COVID like, time? It just, you just get run over by buses. Okay. Um, Matthew Mihalka. Uh, old River Road in the Rocky Mountains National Park in Colorado. Oh, Hard, compact good. dirt that is easily rideable on road bike. No cars when I rode it. Steady climb up to 12,000 feet with serene views. Darren Les has got Queenstown to Glenorchy and back when I was a lot fitter than I am nowadays. That's a tough ride. It's just up and down. About 90 k's out and back, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the original challenge was meant to go there, wasn't it? There's no way that was ever happening. <laughs> it was <laughs> just like before we went to Monaco, it was going to be in Queenstown. I'd still be out there riding, <laughs> that, and that was in 2007. <laughs> it was just a mental idea because they're going to run Swimming Lake Wakatuku. That's never happening <laughs> unless you're John Hancock, who you hear later on, and you, you're adapted to then bike out the Glenorchy and, and run, run, up, run up the Glenorchy. Oh god, <laughs> uh, Daniel. Uh, Robert Daniels I think Challenge Regensburg was my favourite gorgeous scenery and cool little German villages uh, Christine the Grinder McKinley has got uh, the up to West long course triathlon tasty uphill into T2 oh yeah anybody wants to come on out to his camp I'm going to start organising that very shortly I'll be doing that in 2024 get in touch because I've already got quite a few people on the list uh, Chris Haig dead to red cycling race for the lowest point of earth uh, next to the Dead Sea, 200 kilometres um, in it's kind of cool. around Jordan. Amazing ride. Scott Horns has got climbing Mount Evans in Colorado was epic, especially after I climbed Mount Mitchell in the same year. I got to climb two of the highest road cycle routes on the east and west coast. We've got quite a few here for Mallorca, so that's a place I'd love to go. Lawrence Downs says the Tour of Flanders. So that's where they do one of the, the classic sort of spring classics in the uh, world of cycling. Good old Will Hogarth Scott. Uh, I love both the Ironman Regensburg and the old Ironman Switzerland routes. Colin, the convict Bielowski, uh, ride from Laguna Hills in California, up the hills on a dedicated bike path after Cook's Corner, then down Live Oak Canyon Road through Trabuco Canyon and then down the Crown Valley Parkway, back to the Pacific Ocean. Great mixture of hills, flats and different landscapes. Paul Hurton's got... Another one for Norse- Norsemen, the experience that will long live in the memory. Also saw a World War II Lancaster bomber flying over the lake next to me in Halvan Tri. Halvan, yeah. Halvan Tri. Uh, that made me sit up, sit up and out of the arrow position and just watch. Mm-hmm. Awe-inspiring. Uh, Edward Dudkick III, riding roads of Zion National Park while almost free of cars on a crisp autumn morning. Zion is awesome being there. I know it's got the seven, is it Majors? Is uh, I can't see. 367 of climbing, 12,000 metres of climbing. So 367 kilometres of biking, 12,000 metres of climbing, seven passes over 2,100 metres of climbing. Oh, oh yeah, I'm not quite sure what it means there. Um, oh, seven passes over 2,000 metres of climbing, sorry. Um, absolutely awesome. Cool, and there's uh, quite a few more on there. Uh, Gavin Rogers says the Tap du Dolomites, which is in Italy. Stephen Dionidis uh, says around Lake Tahoe. Someone's saying right across America. Yeah, 
and uh, Nikki Sweetman, last one I'll do, said, oh, I've got two more actually to do, uh, the bike course at the Nice World Long Course Champs, such epic scenery to offset the 30 and 20 kilometre climbs. Good old uh, Steve Diodonis has got Lake Tahoe. And I've got to do the other one that Chrissy McKinlay, Chrissy McKinlay said, the grinder, because this was one of mine. Um, we rode from a place called Prades to Aix-les-Thermes in the Pyrenees, um, uh, all the way less popular coals, but beautiful villages and tough climbs. And that's one of the things I have found, you know, having gone through the Pyrenees and gone through the Alps and all the different places I've been to, um, sometimes when you get a little bit off-piste and do some of the less famous climbs that you, you don't ma- maybe see in the Tour de France because the roads aren't wide enough, uh, they're awesome. So that's definitely right up there for me as well, from Prades to Aix-les-Thermes in the Pyrenees. So what are yours? That, that one um, that I just mentioned yep. um, was, was right up there. And then the other one that uh, we did on Epic Camp was in the Dolomites, and we rode to a place called Cortina d'Ampezzo, which is like a sort of ski resort. Um, I think they had some of the Olympics there when they did them in uh, Torino. Uh, that was an amazing ride. I think that day we did on, when we did um, our Pyrenees Camp, mm. and we did... Colder Tourmalet. We did the colder. We did a couple. We did two or three, didn't we? We did colder Tourmalet. Um, we definitely did one before because I got a flat tyre mm. and then everyone got ahead of me. Yeah. And I remember I got to the top that then I beat everyone and yeah. I was pretty proud of that. Um, but yeah, so we definitely did a cold before it. Yeah, I'm not sure if, which one it was. It may have been a little warm up one, but the Tourmalet was, it was a biggie. That's the, the biggest, pretty sure it's the biggest climb you can do in the Pyrenees. It's yeah. pretty cool because. <laughs> A, it goes on forever, but then you get to this village, you know, and there's a little village kind of oh, probably yeah. two-thirds or three-quarters of the way up. Yeah. And then you finish here, and then you've got another bit to go to the top, and you've got the statue. And I can't remember which way we did it. I think we did, yeah, I think we did the side that's got, now I can't even remember. Yeah, we did it on the the the, the mid side, whichever that is, and you go through that little, yeah, ski resort, yeah, and then it yeah. kicks up at the end. Yeah, and you've got the little switch yeah, no, back. That's, that's the more famous way to do it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I remember because, yeah, we did another one before it, and I got a flat tire at the top of the, the first one. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and it took me forever to change the tire. And then I was just like, we might, we might, it might have been the Perry Sword. We did. It might have been the Cold Aspan or the Cold Perry Sword before that, maybe. So those are good times. The thing about ago. those rides are, those are mountains. You are climbing forever. If you've never experienced that, First time you do it, it's just mind-blowing. Like yeah. We've got some reasonable hills in New Zealand, but it just goes on. You know, it's That climb, the Col de Tourmalet, including the approach, is about 40 kilometres long. And just, the descent takes forever. Yeah, sore arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, that, you know, and it's an iconic bike ride. So it's quite nice to tick off a real iconic ride. Um, so that would probably be it for me. Okay, this week's discussion. Well, basically, rolling on from last week, we yeah. had the best ride in the world. Uh, this week we'll go for the best run you've done in the world either in a race or in a just a, a big run. Okay, quiz question. What's your quiz question? John's quiz question. What are yeah, you throwing at me? Well, I just, uh, this is a random one, and I do not know the answer to this, so I'm going to have to do a bit of thinking. Who won the 2000 Ironman? World Championships. Yep, male and female. I think I know the male. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got a bit of a theory, but we'll come back to that later on. And I on. think I've got the female. Okay, yeah, I just thought 2000, it was a momentous year. We all thought the world was going to stop. We had the Olympics. We also had Ironman that year. And oh, now I'm confused. It's either one, I, I think it's between two, but we'll go mm. back to it. Age group, group of the week. week. Okay, so we've been looking at the females and some of the men in the World Championships that happened in Kona last year but this time we want to look at some of the men in the race that happened on the Saturday so what are we looking at what age group do you want to do we will do day two yep day two 
Uh, we'll just do a few because we've uh, we've got a good interview to come up for you guys. Okay. So I'll start with the tw- 18 to 24, and there's I think one age group we we skip because they raced on the day before. Oh, nice one, Endoni uh, Valencia from I think that's a Mexican flag. Dipped under nine hours for the 18 to 24s. He went 8:59, 58. Wonder if he knew that was coming or not. Overall rank 76. Awesome. Uh, he'd been out one by. 12 minutes, pretty impressive victory over J- Jamison Plews and Lucas Stahl. And his splits for a 9.58 were, he swam 56, solid, 4.43, and only a 3.13 on the run. So he did it on the swim of the bike. That's not the speediest run, but uh, that's an awesome performance. Well done. So I'm thinking the 25 to something must have been on the day before. So 34, 30 to 34, uh, Mayo Hayo from um, China. Uh, eight, really? Yeah. I reckon. I reckon that is the first time I've ever heard a Chinese victory in and a Hawaii. pretty good age group as well. Yeah, eight forty-one eleven. Nice. Only one by twenty seconds Ooh. over Philip Stadler from uh, Germany. Uh, so pretty close racing. And then uh, how many got under nine? Well, all the top ten got under nine hours. Wow. So that's pretty smoking. Eight forty-one is an age grouper. Mm. Awesome. Same as this age group that I'm doing, 35 to 39, was also 8.41.30. 41st overall, Tom De Bruin. Um, he was first. Guillaume Montoisi was in second, eight minutes back, and another three minutes back to Eric Angel, and they were both from, uh, that's a German flag, I think. <laughs> German and the Dutch, German and the Belgian flag. I get them confused sometimes. The German's black, red, yellow, isn't it? Yep, so it's the, the Belgian. But is it the same order? No. Is it black top for German? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Neither. Christian, uh, oh, sorry. He swam 59, biked 4.31 and ran a 3.04. Christian Stolzer from Germany, because I'm thinking black's at the top. Uh, he took out the 40 to 44 and an 8.31.26. He swam 57.10, rode 4.29.06 and then ran a sub three and a 2.59.05. So he did a an 8.30. Mm, that's impressive. At 40 to 44. Wow. Overall Glad overall ranking, that. 33rd. I'm not that age group anymore. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, that is very fast. Especially well, he's not, not, what's his name again? Uh, Christian Stolzer. Haven't heard of him. I mean, he might have been a second tier pro or something like that, but he's certainly not a, a top pro that I've ever heard of. So that's impressive. He won by 15 minutes, so yeah. he dominated his dojo, but that's an 831. <laughs> Into our age group, Bevan, the 45 to 49 will stop on this one, I think. Yep. Um, Jose ba- Bellamino, Bellamino from Brazil. Uh, he won a 902.31, only a minute and a half or so in front of Bryce Williams and Kimo Tutunin, Tutunanen from. Oh, it's like playing flaggle here. Got to try to remember all the flags. Uh, from Finland, he was third in 906. So our age group, Bevan. If you wanted to get in the top 10. Yep. Have I got a hope? 4, 6, 8, 10. Uh, 9.21 was 10th place. Oh, do you know what? Back in the day. Mm. Back in the day. We were now we're 45 to 49. Oh, when we were younger. But this year was pretty good well, conditions. You, you, you would have to put off the top 10 based on that. I haven't yet. Easy. On, on paper, yeah. Well, yeah. In practice, yeah. I would like to think. I think I you could. be in that range on a very good day. 9.20? Yeah. And it was a fast year. It was. Still got to do it, though. It's still, hey, it's proofs in the pudding. Good work if you went to Kona this year. We'll do the last few age groups. Uh, so the Mountain Snail took out uh, 
the Cook Street this week, a couple weekends ago. He took yeah. it out. He took it out. He beat the Fury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> did because the Fury broke down last See? week. Because I was intimidated <laughs> by him. So the Mountain Snail is going to be talking about his experience of swimming across the Cook Strait in New Zealand, one of the seven ocean, ocean seven marathon swims. Here he is right now. Righto, team. So uh, there's a... We're not talking triathlon here, but we're talking to a triathlete. Uh, he did an epic swim week before last. Um, because I'm not super up to date on the the old social medias, didn't really know that it was happening. And I got a message from a guy called Dean Galt, who lives in Wellington, who's one of our past separate campers. And he said, Mountain Snow, doing the Cook Strait tonight or tomorrow. And I said, sweet. Checked, the, checked out his progress. Um, by the time I checked it, it was already done. So the um, the Cook Strait is, a, is from between the north and the south island of New Zealand. It's 22.5 k's, uh, depending on how straight a line you go. Um, but it's also part of the Ocean 7, which is a, a marathon swimming challenge, um, which includes English Channel, um, which is 33 k's, um, probably the most famous, the Catalina Channel, which is 32.3 k's um, over in California, the Straits of Gibraltar, a measly 14.4 k's, um, the North Channel, which is between Ireland and Scotland, 34 k's, Jesus, this is a big one. The uh, Kaiwai Channel, which is between Molokai and Oahu uh, in Hawaii, and then the Cook Strait, and then the, don't know if I'll pronounce this right, the Sagaru Strait, which is 19.45 Ks between Honshu and Hokkaido in Japan. And uh, yeah, the man who's ticked off one of those now is John Mountain Snail Hancock. Welcome along. Hey guys, how are we doing? I do have one question for you. Do you know how many people have actually done it? Oh yeah, I, I can tell you that in a second. Oh, but do you know Mountain Snail? It's not many. It's no. like a dozen or something, I think. Really? Um, there's a really tragic website where you can see who's done it, who's got one to go, who's got two yeah. to go, you know, that sort of thing. Um, That's what I was looking at last night. So, okay, then how many people have done the Cook Straight? Ah, well, I do know this because it the well the website's not quite up to date. But when it was last updated, it was 136, and I think about five people have done it since then. So it's still less than 150. Wow! Because um, I remember it was it was in the 60s or 70s the first person did it. Yeah, he was called Gary D- Davenport. He was just some regular Wellington guy, um, and and he's dead now. But his one of his swimming mates did a talk to us at the marathon swimming awards last year year before um and back then of course there was no internet or anything so they they wrote letters to the english channel swimming association to say you know how'd you do your feeding and then three weeks later they got a reply and what do you wear and then three weeks later they got a reply so uh, real pioneers brilliant Yeah, it was a big thing in New Zealand at the time, I think, wasn't it? I do think it was quite – I remember my, my PE teacher at Mr. Here at high school raved about it. Like it was obviously – and he was a little bit older, and so he was of that generation where that must have been a big thing at the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. In fact, last uh, yesterday there was um, a race in New Plymouth, which has been running since those days. It's called the Flanagan Cup. Um, it's a 10k open water race and it's been going since something nuts like you know 1958 or something ridiculous wow um yeah so, so it looks to... like so you go to long longswims.com 
and there's 21 people that have completed all of those uh, seven you know, massive swims. Uh, and then, as John said, there's a bunch there. They've got one to go, two to go, three to go. And uh, they haven't got any, which which has got six to go, which is what you've six got. Six to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, uh, John mentioned to me on email that he, he thinks this is his 10th appearance on IM Talk, which must be some wow. sort of record because um, he's done a couple of epic camps as well. And uh, he's also came on our, our very first ever little I am talk camp back in the Pyrenees and you know wherever it was maybe about 2007 or 2009 yeah. something like that um and but last year he swam the length of Lake Topo which we these days pronounce hopefully correctly uh and told us all about that so I guess what's the difference getting ready for or what's the difference between say Lake Topo which is a lake swim fresh water calm and then getting ready for one of these um more epic open water swims yeah, well, I mean, Topol's quite a lot further. So to- Topol's more than 40k, um, whereas, as you say, Cook Straight, Straight Line's 22 or something. Um, so in in theory, Topol's uh, a much, much longer day. Um, but technically, it's very easy because you only ever swim it when there's no wind. So there's sort of nothing to deal with. There's no tides. There's no currents except in one place. And it's um, fresh water. There's no wind. Um, well, in theory, fresh water makes it a little bit harder, actually, because you're oh, a bit less, little, little, little bit less buoyant. Um, but what it about the can... swallowing of water? Yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly a thing. You can you can drink the lake, um, yeah. which, which is fine. I don't know if the listeners remember, but I had a problem with my nutrition in Topol because Phil said to me, just do what you did in Ironman. And I said, oh, okay, well, I used to have... Um, peanut butter and Vegemite sandwiches. And, uh, <laughs> so I had, had my, my, my sarnies in a, in a little box in the boat. And uh, he said, how are you going? And I said, well, they're a bit dry. And he said, oh, well, you can just dunk them in the lake. So I just sort of dipped my sandwiches in the lake. And that was all good. <laughs> but you, you can't do that in the sea. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I mean, all all sea swimming is, is far more technically complex. So you've got... Um, uh, wind, tide, currents, swell, um, uh, um, uh, aquatic life, <laughs> um, uh, and and obviously it's salt water. So, and except for very very experienced marathon swimmers, so when he's dealing with us rookie Kiwis, um, Phil generally gets people to do a season where they swim topo, and if they succeed in that then he's prepared to think about them for, for Cook Strait. Um, yeah, but with me, it was actually a three-year project because um, I was trying to do it last year and we just ran out of ran out of time and the weather just didn't behave. So, uh, you know, time came and went. But, how did you, other... Sorry, how did you deal with that? Because, you know, we, we've obviously, a lot of people have experienced that over the last few years with COVID, with Ironman, you know, you're preparing for a race and then all of a sudden the carpet gets pulled under, under from you or like race like Ironman California got cancelled. So, you know, did, did was it hard to deal with that when you were sitting there waiting last year trying to go, 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 and then it was just, and, sorry, and, windows closed? And what kind of time frame was it? Like, do you have like a two-week where you're going to, it's going to be in there, or is it, like, how does that work? Yeah, no, good good question, Bev. So the um, the, the currents in Cook Strait are so strong that 
um, you can only get across within about two or three days of low tide. And it's really when the tidal difference is less than a metre, because as soon as the tide turns against you, if it's any more than that, you just get swept backwards. And so you're, you know, you're actually going back to where you started. And even <laughs> Michael Phelps wouldn't be strong enough to be able to swim through that. So um, there are two of these tide windows a month around low tide. Um and so Phil just marks out the season <laughs> and he's got yeah. these, uh, these these gaps and and then he's got two teams so he can support two individuals or two relay um, attempts at the same time. Um, and then he pre-allocates them to the windows. So you sort of, you know, try and peek and taper into the window. Um, but you still have no idea which day you're going to go on because you need the weather to be right. And, and essentially, you need it to be as, as windless as possible. Um, but unlike uh, Lake Topor, uh, th there'll always be some wind because it's Cook Strait and it's Wellington mm -hmm. and it's really windy, right? Um, but it can't be too windy. And the wind needs to be helping you rather than sort of in your face, you know, in the opposite direction to the tidal flows. Um one of my mates said to me, it's a little bit like Himalayan mountaineering. It's actually quite a good analogy. You know, these guys, they all trek off to Everest Base Camp and set up camp, and then they just wait, and you just wait for the weather, and they can be waiting weeks. Mm. Um, but with 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 me, Phil's quite keen on um, sort of uh, active preparation, so you don't taper the same way that you would for an Ironman or something um you 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 you'd peak about the same number of days before the beginning of the window but you stay swimming and you stay reasonably active just dropping your volumes off a bit and then into the window you really do drop it back um to try and freshen up and normally you've got a fairly good idea which of the days in the window are looking best um but you don't actually get the thumbs up until the night before. So, mm -hmm. for example, my, my window started on Sunday, the 29th of January, I think it was. Um, we, we talked about it midweek, the preceding week. And he said, well, you know, the window's not looking too bad. Might be good for Sunday. Um, <clears throat> and then on Friday, he texted me and said, no, uh, this isn't going to happen on Sunday. Stand down, have a beer. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then on Saturday, he said, right. Monday's looking rubbish, but Tuesday looks pretty good. So get your people organized and we go go there. And it, and it actually wasn't until about seven o'clock in the evening on Monday night where we spoke and he said, yeah, we're still good to go. I'll see you in the marina at seven o'clock tomorrow morning and uh, go from there. Yeah, so it, it, it is quite different. And as, as you say, mentally, um, I didn't really have a problem with it because it is so weird. Um, and last season, I actually had I had three tide windows where because um, I was right at the end of the season, so he didn't have anyone else waiting, so I was the next person to go. Um, and we had this lovely weather; it was really sunny and still until the tide window began, and then as soon as the tide window started, the wind picked up. So that went, and it was you know um, end of February, and then suddenly it was mid March, and then it was the end of March. <clears throat> and by April, the, the straits really starting to cool down. So by um, uh, by the end of that third tide window, rather cleverly, he uh, rang me up and he goes, now, John, not saying it's not going to happen, just saying we need to talk about risks. So I just sort of <laughs> planted, plant, planted the seed in my head that this might not be happening this season. Um, and I think with, with hindsight, that was a really good thing. I don't think I was particularly well prepared for the cold. Um and 
really the main thing I've worked on in the last year is cold adaptation, which you might want to talk about later. Yeah. Um, but but Bev, that's another really big difference between the lake and the strait. So mm. Lake Topol is sort of 20 to 22 degrees in the middle of summer. Um, Cook Straits sort of 15, 16 oh, to okay. 20 at, at best. Um, and just one degree makes an enormous difference when, and oh, the other thing people need to understand about this is it's English Channel rules. So you are only allowed to swim in a pair of togs, normal togs, not neoprene ones or anything like that. One swim cap, not two, and a pair of goggles. And of course, you can cover yourself in grease if you feel so inclined. Uh, so, so obviously, swimming in sixteen degree water in in your undies for an entire day—that's <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty cold. Whereas actually, swimming in twenty degree water for a day, it's a bit like being in the bath. So you can stop to feed chat yeah. to people there's really no rush at all um whereas in 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 colder water you you, you really can't stop for long at all because you start cooling down almost immediately um yeah and i know yeah, you so. haven't done any of these other any of these other sort of big ocean seven swims but is it a similar level of um you know windows that you're dealing with when you're going to to other swims like the english channel or the catalina ones you know do, do, do you're sitting around waiting a bit yeah, I think they're much more military, actually. A friend uh, did the Tsuba Strait in Japan recently, and I think the deal there, it's so popular and it's so much more accessible than Cook Strait that the operators require you to pay for your window, even if the weather's rubbish, because obviously mm -hmm. they're all you know, stood up, ready to go. They've got the boat, they've got the people, and they're waiting too. So mm -hmm. if you can't go and it's their opportunity cost but you wind mm. up in having to pay and that's really expensive um <laughs> uh yeah so um but they're all tidal crossings so they all have the same tide window feature and they've all got weather um mm. i think i think the weather's much more predictable in some of the swims than it is here um you know you've taken the mick out of wellington quite regularly <laughs> on the show you know wellington is notoriously it's one of the windiest um, yeah i think i think it's definitely the windiest capital city in the world but it's one of the windiest cities in the world you know yeah. um yeah so I, I think we're particularly bad for getting you know bad weather in in the uh, the windows and some seasons we hardly get any attempts on the cook straight at all because because the weather just doesn't play ball even though the um you know the uh, the you know the, the tides are okay what kind of training do you do for this? Um, uh, well, I I, <laughs> I I say it a bit. It's a bit like Ironman training. Actually, it's quite similar volumes. So um, Phil, who I keep on talking about, we might talk about him later on. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> he's, he's quite old school. So I said, you know, first season, I said, what what should I do? And he goes. Simple. I just want you doing three weeks of fifty k and then come off. It's like okay. Um, so I, I wrote myself a little program with a bit of periodization in it to build up from. You know, I mean, most people triathletes would swim maybe ten k a week, something like that. So just sort of building it up and then easing off for a week and then building it up and whatever. Um, so fifty k in a week—that's about seventeen hours of swimming uh, with breaks and stuff like that—and that's quite similar to um, you know sort of age group re Ironman volume. Um, the difference, of course, is that it's just swimming, uh, so it can be incredibly tedious if yeah. you're not sort of intentional about it. Um, so, so what I 
tend to do um so i swim with a squad four times a week and every day when i swim with the squad then i'll tack on another hour and a quarter so instead of swimming three and a half k in each of those sessions i'd swim seven k um so between those four sessions that's 28k so that's that's a fairly good base um and then uh if you swim another morning uh, maybe add another 5k and then that then leaves you uh to sort of open water stuff that you might want to do at the weekend um when when, when i did like topo i actually would spend five five hours in the local pool here on a saturday morning um so that's wow. about 15 15k in one go um and uh i didn't i didn't actually do that this year but but the other thing i've done an awful lot of for all all three years is sort of expeditions sort of going to other parts of the country um going away uh, to australia on a swim camp oh good i am talk story actually we um th- this season uh Phil wanted me to be ready much earlier than I normally am. So normally I don't really start training until, well, seriously, until after Christmas, because that's our big summer holidays and you sort of want to be around. But this year he said, no, I need you to be ready by the end of January because that's when the Straits said it's warmest. And I'm worried that if it's not at its warmest, you're not going to manage this. So that meant I had to start getting ready at the beginning of November for a three-month build. Um, so I thought, right, <laughs> we're going to Noosa. Uh, so Noosa is this sort of uh, triathlon paradise in um, Queensland in Australia. And um, we rocked up to uh, the main public pools in Noosa. Um, and this American guy stood up and he goes, God, what are they doing letting all these Kiwis in here? Um, and it was Melina. So they, uh, <laughs> they spent their winters in Noosa. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Erin was in the uh, was in the changing rooms, and uh, she's an old friend of my big training buddy Sarah Harrow. So that was yeah. just bizarre, bizarre small world. <laughs> yeah. No, you got world we- champions around you. Sarah Harrow was a former w- world junior champion, and she got third at the elite level at the world champs in 1994 um That's yeah right. i trained a lot with sarah as well yeah yeah so she keeps me pretty honest <laughs> I bet. um uh, we carry on um but i was i was going to say and so we've done stuff all over the place so um you've you've had dan abel on the show before um yeah. talking about swimming so christchurch swim coach and another one of phil's acolytes so he he has a um a swimming business and he does a lot of swim camps um, and every year he runs what he, <laughs> it doesn't sound like great marketing. He builds it as a cold water swim camp. Um, and it's in, it's in Lake Brunner. So Lake Brunner is on the West coast of the South Island. It's about what guys, two, two and a half hours from Christchurch yeah. over, yeah. over the Arthur's pass, sort of quite near where the coast to coast starts actually, which we talk about on the show quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a sort of lower lying Alpine Lake. So it's not, you know, freezing but it's still pretty chilly um and we have four days uh doing really quite long swims non-wetsuit in the cold water end of november early december and that's that's really good so you've got professional swim coaches irbs um and quite a lot of variety so a bit of river swimming a bit of lake swimming um and 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 it's a bit of a sort of magnet for some of the marathon swimmers in new zealand so you get to meet quite a lot of the people who don't live in your city you know so there's quite a big community in nice. Auckland of, of marathon swimmers um and then you know you sort of tootle around the country we uh we we sort of invented a swim camp in in Lake Topol actually where 
the national open water championships are towards the end of January and we sort of tacked on a few days and you know just to change a scene it just makes it a bit more interesting even though what you're doing is the same and unlike cycling and running the view is pretty similar it's just looking at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> like Brunner's the, the darkest lake I think I've ever swum in just dark anyway um in terms of your preparation you know one of the things you mentioned you were most worried about was was the cold and I was reading through your blog yesterday and uh you made a pretty pretty serious attempt all the way through the year to try to get your yourself as well cold adapted as possible so maybe maybe talk us through your your cold adaption strategies um well again this is this is Phil the master um marathon swimmer coach <laughs> so at the end of the season he just said uh, we'll leave it for this year. You'll be right for next year, but you've got to swim through the winter without a wetsuit. And Wellington is pretty cold in the middle of winter and the harbour gets really cold. Um, yeah, so he's, he's talking about swimming in the sea, non-wetsuit through the winter. Um, so the harbour gets down to about nine degrees, sort of late July, early August. And um, his his theory is that if you do it regularly, like three times a week and you don't stop, you don't notice that it's getting colder. And um, this is not true, right? You know, by, the time, <laughs> by, by, the, by the time it's sort of 12 degrees, you really do know it's a lot colder than it was when it was 20. Um, but, but, but the interesting thing That's is... That's the frog theory. People say, the, you know, the frog in hot water and it's bullshit. It's the not frog... true. The yeah, frog yeah. would get out. The frog <laughs> would get out. We were all yeah. climbing all over yeah. the raft to try and get out. So, um, uh, but... But, you know, I mean, the clever bit about this is psychologically you you start to know what it feels like to to be as cold as that. And he did once say to me, which is just the most chilling sentence I think I've ever heard. He said, um, really, John, what we're trying to do is to put you through mild hypothermia so that you know what it feels like and can come out the other side. And I'm just <laughs> like, why? Why are we doing this? This is nuts. Um but but we we managed it. So we um, we've got a lovely pool in Wellington, which I train in quite a lot uh, um, at Freiburg Beach. So Freiburg Beach is our main sort of you know it's a little Costa del Sol in Wellington. Uh, but it's right next to the beach. So after squad in the pool, we'd all go and jump in the sea outside, and then there's a little lap you can do where we swim around the fountain in the harbour. It's very very pretty, um, even in the middle of winter. Um, and because we were doing that multiple times a week and, and also doing it with friends is quite good, you know, partly from a safety point of view, but partly because it's such a ridiculous project. It's quite mm -hmm. fun. Um, yeah. So we we did that right the way through um, the winter. And I was actually quite surprised how how you can adapt. I mean, previously, I had policy of not even getting in the sea in a wetsuit until Labor weekend, which mm. is sort of towards the end of October. Um, and it's it's pretty warm by then. It's like 15, 16 degrees. So uh, and, and the other part of the psychology, obviously, is as you come out of winter, um, it starts warming up. And so you're thinking, well, this is pretty uncomfortable, but I've done it before and I've swum in colder and I don't feel that bad. So what's the problem? Mm. Um, and as it turned out, that was I mean, that was absolutely invaluable. I mean, Phil said to me after the swim, uh, that he doesn't think I would have made it in the temperatures we had last week, 12 months ago, because I hadn't done the adaptation. Um, as it turned out, the strait was incredibly warm this year. So I was I was very lucky because we've had such a warm summer. So the majority of my crossing, it was about 19, 19 and a half degrees, which is just about mm. as warm as it ever gets. So that was fine. Um, I didn't get cold at all. Um, 
but there is a um and apparently this happens quite regularly there's uh, when you're about two or three k from uh shore on the south island you get what they call an upwelling so an upwelling is where you get this big rush of cold water that comes from the bottom of the strait and there's a very complex network of undersea canyons at the bottom of cook strait so obviously it just comes along a canyon and then hits a hits a wall and comes straight up to you so the, the water temperature it drops about four degrees almost immediately wow. so it goes Jeez. from being you know 19 and a half to sort of 15 and a half um but I, but I knew about this. So um, uh, one of the guys in my my swim group had had told me. Um, so when it happened, initially it's like, oh, crumbs, what's happening? And then you think, no, 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 I know this. This is this is all familiar. I've prepared. Um, and I thought, well, it's not that cold. And I could see land, so that was good. Even though it took forever to get there because I was swimming into a current. But again. You know, this is this is um, uh, adaptation and preparation. I mean, the fact I'd swum in much, much colder um, water th through the through the year. I mean, I think it would have been a different story if all nine hours had been 15, 16 degrees, which is what the North Channel is. Um, but 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 certainly, you know, that that adaptation, I think, was probably key to being being successful this year. I guess it's probably a bit like going up a mountain and then all of a sudden the last five k's at 20 percent after you've already been climbing for for god knows how long so um it took talk about uh you know sort of the day you know I, I think it sounded like it was went pretty smoothly but was it a bit of a roller coaster and in, in places you know somewhat similar to say doing an ironman um yeah i mean again bevan's very good question what's the difference between the lake and the sea i suppose one of the things that really is different about um a tidal crossing is there's much more structure than there is with a lake swim and very like iron man and iron man training structure is your friend you know it makes the time pass it makes it much more interesting much more complex um whereas swimming in the lake you are quite literally just swimming at exactly the same speed you can't see anything the water's completely flat for 14 hours you know it's and that's a that's a mental game more than anything um but uh um it, i mean it's a it's a lovely story and um because i've followed the john newsome three-year plan religiously for my entire life yeah. um and all your sage advice john over <laughs> however many how many years you've been doing this Going uh, forward, 13, 14, no, 16, 16, yeah, 16, 17. Yeah, yeah, because I've been there since the start, haven't I? I could yeah. do the show for you, probably. Yeah. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a takeover, hostile takeover yeah. coming in from Wellington. It's got to be done. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, and you know, obviously, one of the things we talk about is you absolutely never try doing something in a race that you haven't practiced in training um so you know you get tons of advice from people particularly in the build-up to the day and the right thing to do with all that last minute advice is to thank people very much and then take absolutely no notice of it mm -hmm. um but on the uh on the morning of the swim i i got a well, i got i got an amazingly large number of you know messages of good luck um from people but i got a message of good luck from a guy called casey glover so casey is the record holder for cook straight oh, wow. and he's a he's a wellington boy um and he's a he's a good friend and everything uh and um so i thought mm, this is this is a message i might need to read you know just to set me off in good stead um and i mean casey's amazing he's a lovely guy but his time is absolutely extraordinary he did it in under 
uh, under five minutes, uh, sorry, up to under five minutes, under four hours, 40 minutes. Wow. So that's that's an hour faster than anyone's ever managed to do it before. Um, and we've had some very, very good marathon swimmers do Cook Straight. Extraordinary. So I don't know. I thought, well, whatever he's got to say, maybe I need to look at this. And he says, like, you know, good luck. Have a nice day. Looks like conditions are pretty good. Um, and then he said, and it was like a sort of Harry Potter clue. It was really cryptic. He said, um, if the swell's on your side, then surf across. And I thought, oh, God, are we looking for a horcrux here? What's going on? This is just <laughs> completely, <laughs> don't know what's going on. So, um, so I, I don't know, I showed my phone to the crew um, and uh, had a great, great support crew. So I had, you know, Sarah, who we've talked about. Um, and then another one of my crew members, Eliza, she swam Cook Strait last year. She's a very, very experienced marathon swimmer. Um, and, and she said, well, and he's talking about swimming surf, like surf lifesaving. So you need to lift your upper body up and get over the top of the waves. Uh, and Sarah said, yeah, you can do this. We did this in Noosa. I've shown you how to do it. So it's like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. Um, put that in my back pocket and then the day starts. So you, you turn up at the marina just north of Wellington, you get in a really big launch, um, and then they, they drive you to the closest point on whichever island you're starting to the other island. So the way the tides work, we swam from the North Island to the South Island. So you start on a little rock <laughs> that's the closest point. And then there's a lot of preamble and uh, and it's quite calm because you're in a little bay. Uh, and then you get in the IRB, um, little rubber boat. Uh, so you've got a rubber boat right next to you. And then there's a bigger launch with all the other people that sort of keeps its distance a bit further away. Sometimes you rotate the crew. Um, and then Phil goes, right, top of the tide, off you go. So you literally just flop off the back of the rubber boat, swim to the, the rocky point, which is the, in the North Island, touch it, and then you go. So we swam out of the bay and because it's sheltered it was it was quite weird actually again quite harry potterish there's sort of big whirlpooly sort of devil's snare thing going on and phil had said to me it's it's quite tidal at the beginning just ignore it and swim through and then when you get into the strait it sorts itself out and and that did did sort of happen and as soon as you stick your head around the corner of course the wind hits you because um you're not sheltered anymore and i suddenly realized what was going on so the wind was behind me and I had this very, very strong current because the tide had turned. And, and this is the swell that Casey was talking about. So I thought, right, okay, well, you know, the master has told me what to do. I need to pick my stroke rate up and I need to try and lift my, my, my body up out of the water so I can scoop over the waves. And I could, I could feel how fast I was going. You, um, you can sort of tell even though you don't have any visual references. Um, and it's pretty exhilarating. It's a lovely feeling, you know, running, cycling, swimming really well, you know, particularly downhill or with the wind behind you or anything. I suppose this is the this is the equivalent. And also, you know, knowing what you're doing, being prepared, having it all in your back pocket. So um, normally you you feed every 30 minutes, but in the first hour, you don't stop um, for 60 minutes because obviously you've been eating, drinking stuff on 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 the way there. Um, so we had an hour uninterrupted and, um, uh, and I felt amazing. And then we stopped for uh, um, the first feed and then Phil, he's all, it's all business. He goes, good job, John, 5.6K, right, off you go. And I thought, <laughs> okay, well, it's on Strava, must be real, that's all good. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, clearly I'm an absolute legend and I'm going to break Casey's record because that's actually a slightly faster average speed than he managed. But of course, that's rubbish because this is what always happens at the beginning of the swim because you've got the tide with you. Um, so you sort of zoom for the first hour and, and, and you keep going really quickly for the second hour. And then the tide starts to turn and you slow down and you slow down and you slow down to the point where you almost stop for an hour. Um, and then it picks up again and you you go the other way. The tide's sort of like a sine wave. Um, so you can sort of imagine what's going on with the water around you. And you really can't swim against it. You just have to, you know, work with it. So all the time you're trying to maximize the amount of time that it's helping you and minimize the amount of time that you're fighting it. Um, so on the big boat, there's actually a person who is your navigator. So that's a dedicated person who's looking at how you're going and looking at what the water's actually doing. So Cook, Cook Strait is a very, very complex water system. It's actually got different tides on both islands. And as I said, it's got this rather complex canyon network in the sea floor. So the currents move around sort of unpredictably. You know, you've got this sort of macro idea of what the tides should be doing based on, you know, what phase of the moon it is and stuff. But the micro detail, which is sort of about the interplay of the two tides with one another um, and the and the wind, um, it, that's the sort of thing that local fishermen and, you know, local skippers know about. So Joy, my navigator, did a really fantastic job um, working with Phil to work out where I should start changing direction in order to try and use use the tides in the uh, in the later stages of the day. Um, yeah, so this, the you know, the first two three hours that was really fun actually because uh, I felt great. You know, I was swimming really well. Um, uh, I think after I think after two hours I'd done nearly nine k. So that's you know like a third of the way across. So you're sort of thinking, sweet, you know, <laughs> it's all going to be an easy day. And then, of course, you you completely grind to a standstill. Um, and the middle section um, is mentally quite hard after a couple of hours because it's like swimming in a lake. You know, you can't see anything. You can't see land on either side um, and you're just swimming. Uh, so you very much look forward to the feeds. And every 30 minutes, you know, you sort of try and have a little bit of variety in what you're, uh, what, what you're having. Um, and then... The final third, um, it starts getting quite hard. So you're very sore and tired. Um, and I think, I think unlike uh, the 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 topor swim, um, there was much more pressure on speed. So I was trying much harder. Phil was putting me under a lot of pressure to try and maintain my my catch and in, in, in engaging uh, the front of my stroke while keeping a high stroke rate up. Um, so that's pretty tiring for. 20 minutes so it's very tiring for nine hours mm -hmm. um and um and then you go into this this final sequence so you know we've talked about the cold sequence but the other thing is there's an offshore current um for the final stretch at the time i was coming through i mean if you're really fast you don't really get that because you're inside one turn of the tide um so this is the sort of thing where you can see where you're going and you're swimming as hard as you possibly can do. And it looks like you're just making no progress at all. So that last 3K took a long time. And uh, this, this is where most people get into trouble because they're really tired. Um, uh, they start to slow down. Then they hit the cold water, which is a bit of a shock. Then they slow down even more because they're a bit spooked. And then, you know, everything starts to sort of spiral down really nastily. 
Um, now I knew all of this was going to happen. I was ready. Um, uh, so, and that's very like the end of the Ironman. Um, my, my old Ironman coach, who we've also talked about on the podcast before, mm. um, John Ackland, who was Terenzo Bazzoni's coach, works with Dan Blues, people like that. So he always used to talk about um, Iron Man as if it was a big monster, you know, like an ogre. Uh, and I used to have this mental image of uh, the Iron Man ogre sort of hiding around a building and getting ready to ambush you in the second half of the run. And you just need to be ready for him. And you need to have your preparation and your support and your nutrition and your pacing and everything ready to beat him off with. And it was very, very similar. I mean, I was sort of ready for the fact that this is the business end of the of the day and we need to be up for it. And in a way, that's quite fun. You know, this is Richie McCaw going into the Rugby World Cup final um, saying, bring it on. You know, this is, this is so, what I've So you did it in... You ended up in, we've only got three minutes left, John. We're going to su- <laughs> yep. summarize things up. You did it You did it in nine hours, which is amazing. I just, I thought, geez, that seems quick. And I think you'd anticipate 11 hours. So that was, that was awesome. Um, but it must've been pretty much, pretty an awesome feeling when you, when you finally made it and you didn't, but you didn't tumble turn off the, off the wall like oh. you have done elsewhere. <laughs> That's Go right. Go back for a yeah. second one. But it's all business, right? You know, I mean, so the celebration and relief and everything that comes once you're safely on the boat. But because the water's moving and it's all pretty high stakes and everything, I must say I was all business to the point I hit the rock and I got back to the IRB. Um, So there wasn't much euphoria um, until I'd finished being hypothermic on the launch about half an hour later. (laughs) (laughs) But um, jokes aside, you mentioned the John Newsom painted a three-year plan and a lot Mm -hmm. of people have disproven that with Ironman and they go and do it in their first year and they get through it. But with this sort of challenge, I kind of sense that you kind of probably do need that that full three years and to have have a good swimming pedigree behind you. Not not be a bloody amazing amazing swimmer, but having having a you know a good have, yeah and done Ironman and things like that. Would that be along what you're thinking? Yeah, and I must say, all the Ironman preparation has been so relevant to doing this. Um, uh, and, and Phil's talked about this, you know, he's very dismissive as triathletes because he does all the water safety for all the local races <laughs> and everything. But he repeatedly says to me, John, it's exactly the same as Ironman. It's a very, very similar length of time. The preparation's similar, the nutrition strategy, pacing, conditioning, it's all very transferable. Um, and I've even found that with, um, you know, with with ultra running, not that I was very good at it, but again, you know, you sort of bring your toolkit with you. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, maybe even more than Ironman, I think surrounding yourself with people who want you to be successful and have the resources to help you be successful is so important. You know, it's so I keep on, it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because it is, it's really hard, right? <laughs> mm. So some, somebody like me, I mean, I wasn't a sporty kid at all and I'm not naturally talented as you both know. <laughs> um, but it is quite extraordinary that somebody like me can do something like this, you know, fewer than 150 people have ever done it before. Yeah. Um, lots, lots of really, really good marathon swimmers fail. Um, but I live here, I've trained in these conditions and, you know, Phil Rush is one of the great marathon swimmers and he specializes in preparing people for this. So I've had this extraordinary experience and it's very like working with a great triathlon coach. You know, we've done it together. Um, and then my, my my friends in the local swimming community have been amazing. 
uh, carrying... John, I'm sorry, we're going to have to be rude, but we're literally going to be cut off. So, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we're going to say thank you, and this has been pretty awesome. Um, and what an achievement. It is, and we'll put a link to your awesome blog about it um, on the show notes, so if people want to find out more, and uh, we'll get John on an Epic Camp again, and then he can, if you come along, you can find out the, the extended version. Yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks. More, more. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, John. That was great. See you guys. We had to rush him at the end because our Zoom, we're cheap. We only have the 40-minute Zoom and it was counting down and we we, we had to be quite abrupt, so we're sorry about that. We could listen to him for ages because it was really interesting stuff, wasn't it? It was. Um, I'll give a plug to cookstraightswim.org.nz if you're interested in going and uh, checking out a bit more details on how to do this this actual swim. Is this something that interests you? Uh, It's a wicked achievement. I'd love, yeah, swimming that sort of distance point to point that interests me. The cold does not interest me, and that's uh, that, yeah. that's what makes it hard. Otherwise, you know, I could go and swim the distance 19Ks, you know, with a small amount of training, but yeah. in the cold, different story. You know, I think I've done in a wetsuit, yeah, yeah. So, something I'm probably ever gonna do, probably not. Um, Which, how much what do they put on themselves, like, like uh, Vaseline or something? It's. I thought Greece. it was used to be um, sort of whale fat or something like that. I'm not sure if that's... And how much a, do they put on? Is oh, you know, swimming are, in it? Yeah, you know, you've got a... I'm, I'm, I've never done it before, but I'm saying you've got like a good half centimetre all over you. Oh, that's a horrible shower at the it's, end, isn't it? It's disgusting. Um, so the, the person who talked about a lot uh, called Phil is Phil Rush, who's a famous Kiwi swimmer. So if you want to check him out, look up Phil Rush. And one thing that I didn't ask him about and was just how much these things cost. You know, I think it's pretty expensive to do them, especially some of those ones overseas. Um, so you need to have a good size checkbook. Um, and it's just that, that waiting game is tricky. You know, if you want to come and do the Cook Straight swim and you're a foreigner, uh, you've got to come over here. You've got to probably bank yourself a couple of months to maybe be here just to, to make sure you can get it done. So that makes these things uh, ever so tricky. Full respect, though, to um, Mr. Hancock for doing that. That oh. was awesome. And, yeah, certainly some physical demons you've got to get through and the, the mental demons was, as well. Was unfortunately, we had to rush because the thing I wanted to ask him was what, what was the difference? What did he learn that maybe he didn't learn an Ironman? You know, mm. what's the different the kind of mental game? Because mm. it is just one movement, mm. you know, and... No view. No view. Mm. And it is challenging, but it's mm. in this ocean's tough work. And nine hours is a very respectable Especially time. Especially when like, you're two hours into it and you're, you're kind of two-thirds of the way through. Mm. I'm just about there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Four, four hours later, he's still got no ages to go. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, I'm sure he prepared for it, but that definitely makes it challenging. So, well done, man. So you're a bloody legend. Okay. Uh, don't worry about tip of the week. Oh, no, I've got to because I, I was going to be quick. Okay. I was in the car yesterday and was coming down Evans Pass. You had to drive down a hill. Driving downhill. <laughs> and there was a set of traffic lights and there were some cyclists in front of me. And then they started riding. And I was just. I oh, just that's frustrating that's their lights. I got stuck behind it on the weekend. Oh, they're really slow lights as well. take forever. Yeah. And so I was coming down and there's a cyclist in front of me and I th- really had to back off. I thought, this guy's going to fall off his bike. Oh, He's really? not careful. So just a couple of quick descending tips. It's just assuming you're on a steep descent and you're on a road bike. Get on your drops. So th- these are basically the things he was doing wrong and giving me the shits was get on your drops because he was on top of his brake yep. goods. Get on drops. You've got a lot more control. Um have a little bit of bend in your arms. So if you hit bumps, your arms act kind of like shock absorbers. Yep. He wasn't even, it didn't look to me like he was even on his seat. He was kind of almost standing up. Get your ass on your seat. Get your weight back a little bit. Those are probably the three main things that could have just given him a bit more balance. Not everybody's going to go down the hill you know, insanely fast, but he was just wobbling all over the place. And I, yeah, I really thought I, was, I was, had to back off. So 
bend your arms a little bit, um, get your weight back a little bit, get your hands on the drops. Be the three main things when you're coming down a hill. Okay, quiz question. You haven't put it here, but we're going to figure it out now. I haven't done wanger of the week yet either. Wanger of the week. Okay, so Wanger of the Week. Random.org is giving us number eight. Number eight Wanger of the Week. Okay, so let's have a look here. And he he did some swimming, biking, running. We're going to accept him. Okay. Uh, Dan Williams did 19 hours. 19 hours and 35 minutes of exercise from 17 activities, four hours and 17 of swimming, eight hours and 24 of riding, and six hours and 52 minutes of running. And he's signed up for all the body challenges. Yeah, but he's a triathlete, so he's he's legit. Um, uh, I'm going to say... He's got some good photos. That did, finishing, yeah. the finishing line at the Outlaw looks... Got the, got the private one, so there you, you picked a Bevan. He's obviously... I was going to say, it looks like a Great Britain scenery, and if you've got the Outlaw there, it means that Dan Williams must be from the UK. He had, 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 a, he's had a New Year's Revolution, Bevan, because he was slack, but slack during December. Oh, does, uh, he must have been injured. Got into January and he's had uh, about six weeks. Well, than just December, October through November. What yeah, was happening, Dan? Yeah, no, he's got Sharp some. And up. He's 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 either on or off. Um, but the last five weeks he has been on. He's on. So fire. good work. Um, huh. he well, lives in. Uh, looks like he's in Tame, which is in uh, near Oxford. My great aunt used to live in Tame. Did you live in Oxford? No, no. Where did you live? Uh, we were in Bristol and we're up in the Lake District. Where for was a your favourite place? Uh, we were in the Lake District was was pretty cool uh, the Langdale Valley the and Lang- Bristol was a good place to live there's a lot of triathletes around there as well I wasn't really doing much triathlon but it was um, yeah it was what were you doing for exercise then? Uh, well no I was doing I got back into a little bit of running and then I started doing triathlon as we were leaving um, so wait a second was there a moment in your life where you didn't exercise at all? Not really. So you still maybe, maybe for a couple of months here or there, but no. Yeah, I'm not in a happy place if I <laughs> don't. We need this if shit. I'm not, if I'm not active, <laughs> we need this shit. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I could not tell you. I've never actually had a downtime. So since since mm. like basically I was a sporty kid at school, and then I had my druggy period. So I didn't exercise much through there. I didn't mm. exercise. I played a bit of rugby, um, but once I got into exercise, mm. other than operations, I've never had downtime. Yeah, it's not worth it. No, it's foolish. Yeah. I'm trying to think if if I've ever had more than a, a week off, you know, a week or maybe I, I don't maybe even a week. Yeah, you know, I'm doing nothing. Yeah, you know, like I still do something. Yeah, you just feel lousy. Oh, it must be too hardcore, but you just feel. Ugh. Yeah, like I don't exercise like I used to, but I still I like to do at least an hour to two hours a day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? Quiz question time. Okay, so 2009. Is it, is it the boom or is it read? I think it's the boom because he yeah, won two right. in a row. Yeah, it's it's definitely and he definitely won it 2001 because it was. Mm. That was 9-11, wasn't it? Mm. And I'm pretty sure yeah. he won it after 9-11. Right. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. Mm. And he won it two years in a row. And then mm. he never won it again. In 99, pretty sure that was... Reed nine, never won three in a row. But 99 was Peter Reed was coming off his stinging beating at the Laguna Phuket Triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> so 2000 might have been yeah, his year. <laughs> well, Peter Reed never won two in a row. Yeah. So we won three. But I'm picking it's one of those two. So it's definitely the boom. But did the boom win... The first one in 2001 and then 2002. I think it's Daboom. And okay. then is it Laurie Bowden? Because um, the year she she won, Peter Reed didn't win. Right. Well, that, mate, I was going to say, I didn't think they won together. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'm going to no, I'm going to go. It, or do you just go no, Natasha I'm, Batman? I'm going, I am going Peter Reed, and I'm just going to go for random, go for the one time that, what's her name? Hit a few. I reckon she was well before that, but I'm just going to say that anyway. Okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go. The boom and 
Vad vill du säga? Boy Bowden? Ja. Or Peter Reed and Bateman. Because that was in Bateman was killing it, wasn't it? Yeah, she would have been... Uh, it might have been just a fraction before her time. Oh, yeah, I took it. Did I get it? No. Did you get it? Well, Peter Reed won the, the men's. Um, okay. So did Boom get the next two years, did he? Yes, he did. So 2000, Peter Reed was first, Tim DeBoom was second, Norman Stadler was third. On the females, no, you're right there, you took one. Uh, it was the second on Natasha Badman's victories. Uh, Laurie Bowden was second and Fernanda Keller was third. So that was 2000. Heather Fewer was 1997. I thought it was a little bit before then. She only won it once, didn't she? Heather Fewer, yes, definitely. And Bowden won it twice. Mm. So. And Fernanda Keller got six. Times you, know, think, you don't talk about Baden enough, do we? No. You know, when you think of like the names that come up, admittedly it's kind of like the Paulers, the Batmans, the Chrissies. But Batman was a great exactly. athlete. She's got two wins that I can see. She's, she's got, got four seconds at least. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a third. So she was on the podium just about every year from for about 97 through to 2003. And, and she was. She's on the. There weren't as many races back in those days, but yeah. you imagine she took out Canada on the a few podium, times. Podium every year. Wicked. So Peter Reed. That's a good stat. He won his first one in 98, came back and won it in 2000, and then came back and won in 2003. I told you he was coming off that stinging <laughs> shellacking <laughs> that he got in Thailand. And, and, uh, and, uh, Jesus, the time's a different day. Eh? Like, you know, we had that one year, 804, but, you know, realistically, you're winning got Kona kind of between. 8.10 and, geez, you know, 8.20. Like Tim DeBoon won at 8.30. Mm. So both of us were quite slow. So mm. he did an 8. Cameron Brown got second in 8.46. Mm. Nowadays, 7.40. Mm. Now, the wind, though. There used to be the wind. Yeah. And technology. Mm. Yeah. But still. But still. Yeah, yeah, definitely so going fast. A much yeah. higher quality. Yeah. Um, let me go back to my notes here. Okay, John, your swim set. Oh, what did we do this morning? Uh, it was a bit of a shorter one. It was... 600 warm-up, doing 50 free, 25 back, 25 breast, 200 drills, then 9 100s, 3 on 140, 3 on 135, 3 on 130, aiming to get about 10 seconds rest, 100 easy IM, 6 100s, repeating what we'd done before, so two, but a little bit less, 2 on 140, 2 on 135, 2 on 130, 100 easy IM, 400 steady, 200 warm down, 3.1 Ks. Good times. Jumbo, you're doing a coast to coast to coast. Coast to coast to coast. You're improving on the coast to coast. So this is planned. If, if anybody wants to try a, a bloody long bike ride, I'm provisionally planning to do get a few people together and we're going to do coast to coast to coast. Coast to coast to coast, yeah. So we'll start in Sumner, which is yep. on, on the coast in Christchurch, so where coast, coast to coast used to finish. Uh, and then we're going to basically bike to Greymouth, which is on the other coast. It's about 250 k's. And then back the next and day. And then back the next day. It's 500 k's in two days. Um, but, uh, we, you and I did that. Sorry? We did 500. Yeah. When yeah. we get to Queenstown. Yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be two big days. Um, there'll be options for people who want to do a little bit shorter. We'll have a sag wag there, wagon there. Um, it's not going to be insanely sag expensive. Wagon. Yeah. <laughs> so some people may want to go to a place called Arthur's Pass, which is probably about 180-ish or something like that. Oh, so go away. Sorry? Well, you can't just go to Arthur's Pass. Well, some people, is, uh, when you get to April, day, daylight is a challenge. We'll be starting in the dark and probably finishing the dark. Have you heard of lights? Yes, I've got good yeah. lights. Yeah, just yeah. get some lights. Yeah, get some lights. So if people are keen to give, give that a what go. What time will you start? Uh, probably start at six. 
So it'd probably be six or six or something like that. I'd imagine yeah. roughly. I haven't actually figured it out yet, but it'll be it'll be yeah, a long. Have you ridden a coast to coast four? No, I remember I've um, Bjorn and Bjorn and Class did it one day. Mm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be good. So if people are keen, get in touch. Okay, let's say I think we've got a new patron. Yes, and I've given him a name already. You can tell me whether you like this one or not. No, I think I do. Aaron Torilio. What's the story? No story. I just thought no, Torilio. But what, did he give us an, Aaron? Mate, give us give us your story. <laughs> yeah, mate, we love you. A patron, we yeah. love it. You're a legend. Yeah, but give us a story. We want to tell your life story. So, uh, Aaron, the Tango Man, Torilio. How old do you think he is? Let's make up a story. <laughs> Let's make up a story. How old do you think he is? I reckon Aaron is uh, 38. Okay, 38. I think he lives on the, <laughs> the Tortorelli. What kind of the, name? Italy. No, I, I think he's in the, in the east coast of America. I think he's probably... East coast? Yeah, somewhere around... New York? New York or something yep. like that. Yeah, big merchant uh, banker. Yeah. He's worth billions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and let's see if we can actually find anything else about him. Uh, and he's in probably in the finance industry. Yeah, big time. S- spends quite a bit of time running around Central Park. Doesn't do much biking outside. Cold and yeah. Yeah, not yeah, very practical. Winter. Maybe does a little bit. Um, but tell you what, fast. Yes. Fast. And his local community, everyone goes... When Tortorelli's going by, you you get in the wheel. It looks to me like he's. <laughs> Your Facebook got like, and I'm just stalking. Uh, Are you Facebook stalking. The it looks like he might be a, a registered pilot, and he is in New York. Oh look at that! Wow, Harold, thirty eight. Don't have those details. Oh, that is that. Assuming you've got the right Aaron here. Yeah. Have you just done a Facebook stalk? Yes, yeah, there's pilots in the city. There's a list of pilots. Doesn't have. Uh, yeah. Anyway, oh no! Here we go. No, I think he might be in 1977. That's our age. It's my age. Your age, yeah. So 45, maybe 46. I may even have his address. (laughs) 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 Right, we're coming to get you. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Aaron, if you want us to put the real facts in, (laughs) send us an email, and we'll give you the real facts. So, the nickname is. The Tango Man. Oh, because he's got the feet to move. <laughs> got the hips and the feet to move. And ironically, when I picked out another three from for today, one of them that came up was John the Mountain Snail Hancock. And Love Colin, your work. The convict, uh, Belensky. And he was actually one of the comments I read out today as well. And Jeremy, Special Agent Ryan. These people are legends. If you want to be a legend like Aaron and give us your story or mm-hmm. get us to make up your story, either way, become a patron of the show. To do it, go to www.iamtalk.me. Go through the process and uh, you support the boys in a show that hopefully is a highlight of your triathlon week. Uh, if you want coaching, coachjohnnewson.com, my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com, other content, Podcast at gmail.com. Jombo, you goss. You didn't have a walk. Did you walk any all time? I'm a bit tramped out at the moment. There's three tramps so far this year we've done. Where'd you go? Just went out with a couple of mates. Um, We we were supposed to go and actually ride the West Coast Wilderness Trail, which was, uh, the weather was miserable, so we ditched that, and we did a short mountain bike, and then... um, Amazing what we did. So if Kiwis, you want to check this one out, we it's in Arthur's Pass and it was on this side of the divide. So we, the weather was actually sensational. What day was that? Friday, Saturday. Oh, nice. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be blowing a gale. Oh, Friday, Saturday was scorching. Yeah, but then you'd expect in the mountains it's going to yeah. be blowing, uh, and so we left with some apprehension. Um, and I also thought this walk might be. It'll be nice, but I thought it was going to be walking up river beds and. Yeah. It was awesome. We started a place called the Andrews Shelter, and the first day we did about five and a half hours. Went over the you know a few 
pretty decent climbs and just the scenery just kept changing all the time. Oh, really? You're in sort of mossy forest and then you're in beach forest and then you were in these sort of like prairie type bits and then you're in these massive big open areas and it was awesome. And then the second day was equally good. Um, was it easy enough to get a hut last minute? No, we were camping. Oh, uh, camping. We, were, we, were, we were taking everything. We're roughing it. Bivouac? Sorry? No, no. We've got, I've got, Tom's got all the lightweight stuff now. Oh. Uh, and that was it. the only downside was we started quite late because we'd done a mountain bike in the morning as well. By the time we got to where we, we found somewhere we could pitch our tents, uh, I think it was probably about 7, 7, 7.30 p.m. Um, got our tents up. Mid, by the time we put our tents up, we're like, we're in the shit here, boys. Oh, really? <laughs> Sand flies were just oh, no. mental. What absolutely do you do? mental. There's not much you can do. Go into tent and hide? Uh, pretty much. Once the sun had completely gone down, it got went dark. Then it wasn't too wasn't as bad. Yeah. Um, but then we got up in the morning. As again, my mate sort of said from the tent, he said, "What's it like out there?" It takes about a minute or two, and you're going, "Yeah, it seems okay." <laughs> and then boom, they are all over you like a rash. Are you uh, bit night crazy? Uh, it didn't seem horrendous, but we were pretty well covered up. But that was the one downside. Oh, Other than that, awesome. If you want to see where I actually went, just go follow me on Strava and you can go check it out there. So that was my weekend. Bevan, what about this weekend coming up? This weekend coming up, oh, I've got the, the 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 proper showdown with Thomas on Friday night. So oh, first triathlon, which is actually not a mountain biking one. Where is this? Uh, it's just a little sprint one out in the country, Lake Crichton. Yeah, on a Friday night? Yeah, they're just a real community, real low-key. Do you have many people there? Yeah, you get 100 or so. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's just say we better not come off the bike together. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to spot a bother. So I'm going to need to swim so fast. So what's the strategy? You're better swimming than him. Yeah, but not by much. Over 400 meters, need to annihilate the bike and then make sure I've got about a minute on him off the bike almost. And then it's a 4K cross-country sort of run. Do you ground him if he beats you? Take his phone off him for a month? Mm, There's there's a bit of tension in the household (laughs) at the moment already. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Another story for another day. Probably not for the podcast. (laughs) Teenagers, yeah. teenagers scare the yeah. living shit out of me. Um, <laughs> what about for you, Bevan? Long we, weekend, long weekend. Well, no, because we work on a Monday. Right. Well, I, it's a different kind of day. Mm. We got up in the morning, coached, and then did short bays. I haven't done mm. that in a while. It's quite nice. And then kind of worked in the afternoon. And then uh, we went to the gardens. They had a a live theatre show on the right. history of cricket. Right. And it's kind of like. I think people from the court theatre, mm-hmm. they do it. They do it every year. They do a new play. It's, it's actually a really nice night out. But the first half of it was a bit average, and the second half was really good. Mm-hmm. So, um, so did that. What else has been happening, Jumbo? Um, not much really. Just no. kind of took it over. Getting into the year now. It's February. Yeah. Oh no, no. Booked our first overseas trip. Oh wow. We're nice. going to Bali. We're going to go for three weeks in July. Nice. So it's my first proper. Like, I've been to Australia. Mm. Australia's great. I love Australia, but it's mm. kind of pretty basic. We only did like short trips, mm. three weeks. Oh, I can't. No, nah, yes, you are married, so you're okay. Yeah, you? we can shag as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to get off the plane to start shagging. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, it's legal here. You know, yeah. so if those that don't follow the news in Indonesia, they've had laws that if you they won't be enforcing it on tourists, but yeah, pretty draconian sort of laws going on. If you're not there. married, you're not allowed to shag. Mm. What yeah. stupid law that is. Yeah. Because like like humans are humans. Mm. You're not gonna stop people from shaking. You know, like oh, they're gonna give it a good try. Yeah. And then what happens is you, then they get repressed and then really bad shape. <laughs> yeah. So mate, humans are humans. Like, yeah. how do you stop human nature? Totally. You know. I'm hearing you. It's just human nature job. Right. Uh, okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. Let me know. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.